Have you, have you ever read something in the Bible or heard something read by somebody else from the Bible? Something that you have read, something that you have heard many times before, but suddenly it's like, it, it, it's totally new. It's totally different. That, that has been me the last probably eight days with this passage of scripture. I've read Isaiah many times before. I have preached from Isaiah in different many occasions over my, wow, 20, 20 years of preaching now. It's been more than that actually, but that's, I'm rounding down. And as we, or rather as I felt the Lord direct me into this series, Anxious for Nothing, I kind of sketched out where I thought he would take us and what I thought it would look like. And to be very honest with you, if, if, you're, if you're relatively familiar with the scriptures, Philippians chapter 4 was where I planned to spend the majority of our time. And here we are in week 2 and we haven't even touched it yet uh, and won't touch it, at, at least not this week. But as I actually heard this scripture read by somebody else, it, it just, it means something new to me all of a sudden. And this is the word of the Lord given by Isaiah 2,800 years ago. He says, the Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. I don't know about you, but I feel like we could just read that and go home. Don't think like everybody else thinks. He said, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. Now remember, this was written 2,800 years ago. It was written during a time of political turmoil, during a time where uh, leaders of nations and leaders of countries and leaders of kingdoms were making alliances and, and, and dealing underhanded deals under the table and, and rumor. So, I mean, 2,800 years ago, has, it's totally irrelevant to us today. The world has changed so much in the last 2,800 years. We really struggle to find any common ground. Please hear the sarcasm oozing out of my pores right now. Don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. Now, who is they? They are the people who should know the Lord but don't know the Lord. Who say they know God, but their lives reflect no relationship with God. Don't, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. Don't live in dread of what frightens them. Make the Lord of Heaven's army holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble. He will keep you safe. Some translations say, He will be a sanctuary around you. But to Israel and Judah, He will be a stone that makes the people stumble. Now, Israel and Judah, Isaiah is referencing, these are the people that should know the Lord. And they claim to know the Lord. But their lives tell a different story. He says, He will be a stone that makes the people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, He will be a trap and a snare. I want to preach a message to you today. And I'm excited about it. I'm also a little scared of it, if I can be honest with you. Which makes it even more exciting. And the message title is very simple, very straightforward. And it's... 
It's this. Give it to God. Now in this room, there are a lot of different it's. Some of you may have one singular it in your life that you need to give to God. Others of you, you might have half a dozen it's in your life that you need to give to God. But I would assume that almost everyone in this room, if not everyone in this room, has an it that they need to say, Lord, no longer am I going to hold on to this, but I am going to give it to you. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that over the next few moments as your spirit has been moving with such generosity and power that you will continue to move, minister, touch lives. And Father, most of all, that we would leave this place looking more like Jesus than when we arrived. And we pray it in his strong name. And Lifehouse said, amen. Amen. Hey, one more time. Can we just celebrate the goodness of the Lord? Amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right. Can we get a little bit more light in here? I want to make sure Holly's awake on the front row. Carlos is up. In all sincerity, I want to honor you for being here today. I know, I know you didn't come to the 9 a.m. service, but you still showed up right? Some of you, not only were you at the 9 a.m. service, some of you were here for the 7 a.m. get everything ready service. And for those of you who have been here uh, since 7 or even maybe a few of them before, we honor you. Can we just honor all of our amazing uh, serve team members who showed up and got things ready for us this morning? I'm so appreciative of everyone. Um, we're not going to let what the devil stole from us keep us from worshiping the Lord. The, the hour of sleep, that is. Yeah. Have you ever been in a situation where you were filled with, and some of you will know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you live such carefree lives, you will struggle to understand this. And I envy you, and I wish I was more like you, so please just shut up. I don't want to hear it. But have you ever, have you ever, uh, had those moments in your life where you were filled with just absolute and utter anxiety, dread, fear, and like it felt physical, like you could just feel it in your belly, like gnawing at you. And, and whatever it was that you were anxious about or whatever it was that you were fearful about, it was 100% your fault. And you could have done something different to not be in that situation, but you made a choice, and now you're in that situation, and you are dealing with the overwhelming sense of anxiety and dread and that literal physical, does anybody know what I'm talking about? That literal like, oh, you know, you feel like you just had too much Taco Bell, but you know, you, you hadn't had Taco Bell in two months, right? You know, does it, can I get a witness in the house today? I, uh, I, I am sad to admit that I have found myself in that situation many times in my life, and hopefully I won't anymore, but let's be honest, I probably, I probably will at some point. Uh, something that I want to share with you for a few moments to kind of illustrate what I mean 
And, and, and for all of the students in the room, raise your hand if you are a student, like of any age in the room. Raise it high, Peyton. Don't be ashamed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I will tell you something that my father told me often in his life. Do as I say, not as I do. Okay. But I had this philosophy through elementary school, through middle school, through high school. By the time I got to college, my philosophy changed because college was a lot harder than high school. But my philosophy was this, is that if the teacher could not teach me what I needed to know in the eight hours that I was there, then it's not my fault and I shouldn't be held responsible to go home and then do the work that she couldn't get done. <laughs> to all the teachers in the room, I apologize. I don't feel that way anymore. Well, maybe a little bit. But, um, but that was my philosophy. So I never did homework. At least very rarely did I do homework as a student. And it really, it really was a blessing and a curse, the kind of student was. I was the kind of student that could go to class, barely listen, barely read something of the textbook, take the test, make an A, make a B, and pass it and feel good about it, and not really try that hard. Now, it was a blessing for the most part in my, you know, elementary through high school ages, but by the time I got to college, it was a curse because college got a lot harder, a lot quicker, and I did not have the tools that I needed to study and to, and to learn. So at that point, it became a problem, and Kristen had to help me, with, especially with Spanish. And in fact, uh, she just did my Spanish work. But that's another story, another sermon for another day. That's why she loves me today. But I had this teacher in third grade. Her name was Miss Edwards, and she was a wonderful teacher. She was just the sweetest lady. And um, I, I, I was... I really loved her, and she was very kind towards me, and, but I still, I did not do my homework. And one day, she pulls me aside, and she says, Drew, if you do not turn in your homework tomorrow, if it is not completed, you will, and I know some of you, this will, your eardrums will burst at this word, she said, you will get a paddling. I know, it was the 90s, it was a crazy time, um, you know. It was just a different world back then. I mean, you do that today, and you know, I don't know. Anyway, um, she said, You will get a paddling. You'll get a paddling. And I thought, Oh, well, okay. So, you know what I did when I got home? I rode my four wheeler and, and played regular Nintendo. <laughs> and I did everything but my homework, right? And so the next morning comes around, and I know I haven't done my homework, and I'm just thinking, You know, Miss Edwards loves me. She will not raise a hand to me. I am one of her favorite students. She will not physically abuse me, you know. And, and so uh, as I'm getting ready for school that morning, I go to one of my parents and I'm like, hey, you know, my stomach hurts today. I don't know that I can go to school. Does anybody, and nobody's ever done anything like this before, right? Like you guys are better people than me. I know you are. And so uh, because I wasn't missing a limb, because my temperature wasn't 142, and because I wasn't physically throwing up my intestines, I still had to go to school. Uh, like I said, it was a crazy time back in the 90s when grunge was king and Jordan still played. Um, this is my first pair of Air Jordans. I'm really excited about it, y'all, okay? Just got to say. But so I got sent to school, and I, had, I, I, I wasn't lying when I told my parents, hey, my stomach doesn't feel good, because it really didn't, because I was like, I didn't do my homework. I'm going to get a paddling today. And so all day through, you know, our earlier classes, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm anxious. I'm living in this moment of fear and dread. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, you know you've done something wrong, and you know it's going to come out at some point, and you know when it comes out, you're going to have to pay the repercussions, right? 
And so the moment occurs when we are supposed to hand in our homework assignment and lo and behold, I don't have a homework assignment, assignment to turn in, right? I don't have whatever it is I'm supposed to have. And Miss Edwards, uh, with all the love and care in her heart, comes to my desk and she takes me by the hand and she takes me out in the hallway and she goes to the other third grade teacher's door, Miss McCann. She knocks on her door. Somebody may know what I'm talking about. She knocks on that door and she, she tells Miss McCann, hey, I'm about to give this student a paddling and I need a witness to watch me abuse this young man. That's what I was thinking. And the whole time in my, does anybody, anybody live that life? With, anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. And, um, and, and so she takes me out in the hall and she, she abuses me, guys. She, she gives me a paddling, right? She gives me a paddling. And immediately, like, she tur- I turn around and she gives me a hug and she says, now, Drew, I'm going to have to send a note home uh, to your parents that they'll have to sign that says that you haven't been doing your homework and that you got a paddling today. And it was at that point the gnawing feeling really got bad. Because my dad had the rule, if you get a paddling at school, you... It wasn't a paddling, though. It was something, it was, an, it was another tear, right? You know what I mean? So I had to go home and get that signed. And, and, and I tell you that story, and I could tell you dozens of other stories from my own life that would do nothing but lower your perception of who I am. <laughs> to illustrate the truth that so much, and I say this with compassion, I say this with empathy, and I say this from a place of own personal experience. So much of the anxiety that we suffer from is self-inflicted because we refuse to fully give ourselves to the Lord. So much of the anxiety that we suffer from, so much of the, that internal feeling of fear, dread, that gnawing feeling in our gut that we live with, that we have just excused as normal, and it's, but it's not normal, and it shouldn't be normal. And it certainly should not be the normal for somebody who belongs to Jesus. We have accepted it as normal. And the reason why we have accepted it as normal is because in our lives, the Lord says to us, you need to give me this. And it's your it. It's whatever the it is in your life. And until you give me your it, you will have to feel that feeling of anxiety, that feeling of knowing that you are in control and you have to fix it and you have to take care of it. And the Lord would say to us today, Lifehouse Church, number one, he doesn't want you to live in anxiety. And number two, one of the ways, maybe not the only way, but one of the ways that you will find freedom from anxiety is when you decide and you follow through with the decision. I am going to give it to God. For some of you, it's time to say, God, you are not just Lord of my life. You are Lord of my finances. Because money's been keeping you up at night. And the reason why it's keeping you up at night is not because you don't have enough. It's because you haven't given it to the Lord. For some of you, you're going to have to say, Lord, I'm going to, I give you my kids because you've been staying up all night worried about your children. And the reason why you're worried about them is because you haven't given them to the Lord. You're staying up at night and you're worried about your, your marriage. And the reason why you can't rest and the reason why you're living in anxiety over the condition of your marriage is because you have refused to fully give it to the Lord. Craig Rochelle, one of my favorite pastors, says this. He says, what you fear the most reveals where you trust God the least. What you fear the most reveals where you trust God the least. He says, 
Put your faith in God and watch as he starts to eliminate your fears. Put your trust in God and watch as he starts to eliminate your fears. Going back to Isaiah, I just want to reread that passage of scripture. He says, the Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. He said, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. Don't live in dread of what frightens them. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble. He will keep you safe. But to Israel and Judah, he will be a stone that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. As I said a moment ago, this is during an era 2,800 years ago where the, the nations, the, the two kingdoms of, of Israel, Israel and Judah and the surrounding nations, this is a very tumultuous time politically and, and there were alliances being made. You have people who claim to be uh, the children of the Lord, but they do not live as if they belong to God. And then you have leaders doing things shady, underhanded, like I said earlier, I mean, we've come so far in 2,800 years. There's nothing like that anymore. And nothing like the peaceful, perfect, uh, pristine world that we live in today. And Isaiah tells them, so maybe, maybe even though our world is so different today, maybe we can still find some relevance in his words to us today as well. He tells the people, don't think like everybody else thinks. 800 years later, the Apostle Paul would echo the same sentiment that Isaiah lays out right here when he tells the church in Rome. He says, don't copy the behaviors. Don't copy the customs of this world. Instead, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good which is pleasing, and which, which is perfect. And, and what the Lord is saying to Isaiah, and what the Lord is saying through Isaiah, what he said through Paul, and what he's saying to us today, is that, yes, we do live in a world where things, let's just be honest about it, the world is crazy, y'all. Like, can we just agree on that simple truth? It doesn't matter who you vote for. It doesn't matter what political party you support. It doesn't matter how much money you've got in the bank. It doesn't even matter what religion you adhere to. I think we can all agree, just like daylight savings time and the time change, it's crazy. The world is crazy, y'all. Can I get a witness? Can I get some help this morning? I'm not the only one. You, come on, yeah. And, and, and the Lord is saying through Isaiah, and he's saying to us today, that as you look around at the world around you, it will be so easy to respond to the world around you the way everybody else responds. To think about the situations the way everybody else thinks. To pull out your social media and begin to post and to tweet and to whatever else the way everybody else posts or the way everybody else tweets. It would be so easy to talk the way everybody else talks. It would be so easy to react to what you see in the news the way everybody else reacts. But Isaiah is telling the people, you're not like everybody else though. You're not like everybody else. Peter calls us in 1 Peter a peculiar people. You know what the word peculiar means? It means weird. And the, the truth of the matter is this. If the world does not look at us as the church, as the, the people of God, and if they do not think every so often, man, that Justin, he's kind of weird. 
If they don't look at Chad and every so often, because you made fun of him, I'm going to make fun of you now. If they don't look at Chad every so often and go, you know, that Chad, he's kind of odd. If they don't look at Tyler every so often and go, you know, that Tyler, sometimes he behaves kind of strangely. You know, all these things were happening and yet he stayed calm. That's weird. That's weird. That's weird. If they don't think we're weird sometimes, I don't think we're doing it right. Now, I'm not saying that we should pursue weird. A lot of people in church have made a whole theology out of that. I'm not saying we should go running after it. But I'm saying that according to the word of God, the way we think, the way we talk, the way we, we respond, and the way we, re, the way we react, I got it out finally, should be different than the way people who do not know God respond. The way people who do not know God react the way people who do not know God think and talk. We should be different. We should think different because we are different. We are different. And so Isaiah's encouragement to the people would essentially be for them to pray, God, give me your perspective about this situation. God, give me your eyes. Help me see the way you see. Help me think the way you think to react and to respond the way you would react, the way you would respond. He goes on in verse 12 and he says, don't call everything a conspiracy. Don't live. I mean, where was this verse three years ago, guys? Come on, that was funny, okay? Give me that one. It says, don't call everything a conspiracy. Don't live in dread. In other words, as you look at the world around you and you refuse to react and to respond and to think the way everyone else would react, respond, and think. You, instead of looking around and trying to make sense of everything that you're seeing, you look up and you say, Lord, I don't know about all this, but I know about you. I don't know what's happening over here. I don't know what's going on in that country. I don't know what that political leader's thinking. I don't know what's happening in this situation with this person and this right here. But you know what? My eyes are firmly set on you. And as long as my eyes are firmly set on you, I'm not going to worry about everything that's happening around me. And I certainly am not going to have to live in dread because I know what's happening over here and what's happening over here and what's happening back here. It's nowhere as important as what's happening right here. See, I think it's so easy for us, whether we're talking about world events or very personal events in our own life, for us to forget that the Lord is sovereign. That nothing that has happened in your life or in the history of this world has ever caught God by surprise where the Lord would say, oh, myself, I, can, I don't know what I'm going to do right now. How am I going to respond to this? I didn't see that coming. That's never happened, and it never will happen. The Lord is sovereign. The Lord is not surprised by things that happen in your life. He's not surprised by things that happen in this world. And, and, and it's also imperative that we remember that because we belong to God, and this is beautiful, that even when life happens, you know what I mean? Like, you know, sometimes life happens because I did something stupid. Sometimes life happens because somebody else did something stupid. And sometimes life just happens. The Lord is faithful. And he will take, when we give it to him, not, but as long as we hold on to it, it, it won't happen. But when we take our mistakes and our pain and our problems and the things we can't change and the things that we could change, and we say, God, I, you know what, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do with this. I don't know about this. I don't know how to handle this. But Lord, here you go. 
According to his word, he is faithful to make all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean that the thing that happened will be good, but it means that somehow, some way, despite all logic and rationale, the Lord can make something good out of it. Do you follow? Come on, can we give the Lord praise one more time this morning? I love what Paul says to Timothy. He says, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear. He has not given us a spirit of timidity, right? To, to shrink back or to be afraid for what life may bring our way. But rather, the Lord has given us a spirit of power. He's given us a spirit of love. And he's given us a spirit of self-discipline or self-control. Or I love the translation that says, a sound mind, right? To, to not... Let what everything that's happening out here invade what the Lord is trying to do in here, right? To think clearly, to think the way the Lord would have me think, so that then I am enabled to respond with the authority that the Lord has given me, which, by the way, you have been given the delegated authority of Jesus on this planet. That's another sermon for another day. But according to Matthew chapter 16, as well as according to Matthew chapter 8, the keys to the kingdom have been placed in the hands of those who name Jesus as Lord and Savior, right? And whatever we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever we loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. We've been given the keys of the kingdom. Come on, that's better preaching than you're letting on. So we've been given delegated authority. We've been given the power to see the kingdom of God be advanced on earth as it is in heaven. And we've been given the ability to love. And that's so important because, you know, power without love that's, is brutal, right? But because we've been given the delegated authority, or rather the delegated power of God, and we've been given the ability to love those who are unlovable, and sometimes, if I'm being really honest with you, the most unlovable person that I know is the person that looks back at me in the mirror. To not be controlled by what I can't control, but rather, he's given us a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. So we don't live in dread. We don't call everything some crazy conspiracy, even if it is. Right? I'm glad this is not an open floor discussion right now. I know that could get sidetracked real quick. In verse 13, he says, make the Lord holy in your life. He says, fear him. In other words, what he is saying is if you will put God first, if you will reverence him as God. And that was the situation that Isaiah was really addressing is that the people of God were not living like the people of God. Could it be said of the church? If I, I don't know what a soapbox is. I Maybe somebody can send me a picture later. But if I had one and I put it right here and I stood on it and I was as tall as Chad. I would say to you that the reason why we see the world the way it is is not because the world has gotten worse. But because the church has become ineffective. And we do not become effective by thumping our Bibles and throwing elbows. We become effective by not caving to fear and living with the authority and in the love and to think the way the Lord has called us to, to live, to love, and to think. Okay, 
Here, you can have the soapbox back. <laughs> I have a lot more to say about that, but I'll spare you today. Isaiah is writing to these people who have this rich history of following God, and their ancestors are the ones that Moses led out of Egypt through the Red Sea. They, they've seen the, the likes of Samson and Samuel and Saul and David, Elijah and Elisha, and they have this rich history and these monuments all around their land, yet they have the knowledge of God, the author of Hebrews says, but they deny the power of God. And Isaiah says, if you will make him, if you will, instead of what you're doing, if you will reestablish him as Lord and holy in your life and fear him, he, he'll eventually say he, he will make you safe. Jesus, 800 years later, would, would kind of echo this sentiment when he said, don't worry about these things. Now, what are, what are these things, right? These things, I think these things can be summed into three different categories of all the things that we want in life. Provision, protection, and purpose. He says, don't worry about these things saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. In other words, these things dominate the thoughts of people who do not have a relationship with God like you have. He says, but your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. In other words, what Isaiah has said and what Jesus has said and what the Lord would say to us today is that if we will make the Lord holy in our life, if we will fear only him, and we're not talking about the fear that we get you know, when something awful happens or when we're intimidated. We are talking about a reverential fear. The writer of Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we would take upon ourselves that fear of the Lord to place him in our life as number one, as not a priority, but the priority, not as a God in our life, but the only God, the one true God in our life, then we can be confident that for every need of provision, that for every need of protection, and that for every need of purpose that we have, he will be the one to meet that need. He will be the one to fulfill that want. He will be the one to make sure that desire is met. And he says there in verse 14, he says, he will keep you safe. I told you earlier when we read through it that another translation and probably a better translation of that, of that sentence is that he will be like a fortress around you. He will be like a sanctuary around you. I grew up in Mississippi and while we do occasionally have rough weather over here in East Tennessee, I, I, I need to tell you today, we got a pretty good compared to those in Tornado Alley going up Mississippi and, and West Tennessee. And so uh, having tornadoes and even remnants of hurricanes and severe storms was not abnormal. And, you know, the other day we had the situation in all the surrounding counties and Oak Ridge, and I won't comment on that, where, you know, kids were let out of school because of bad weather. You know, back in, back, back in my day, remember in the 90s, what did we do when there was a tornado? Yeah, you get your textbook, you go out in the hall, and you just... You literally kiss the floor, right? You, anyway, I'm not going to demonstrate that. That's, that's how we did it. And, and uh, we did that a lot as a kid. For those of you that came out from the West, just you're better off not knowing. Um, so, sorry. Um, you had earthquakes. Yeah, those are no big deal. I'm just kidding. That's terrible. 
I've, I've experienced one earthquake and it scared me bad. <laughs> and it wasn't even that big of a deal. But going out in our hallway and covering our head up with a textbook was a very normal occurrence. And so if you ride down the country roads that I grew up on, in fact, even at my, my mom's house, uh, we had a storm shelter. In the first service, I said, if you looked at the hills, you would see little doors built in the hills. And somebody thought I was talking about hobbits, but that's not what it was. <laughs> it, was it was storm shelters. Essentially, what it was was you would carve out a big hole in a hill and, and take a, some sort of a little trailer or a bus or something that way and back it into there. And then you've got a, a storm shelter. So when the storms would come, you would go get in the storm shelter and while all hell may be breaking loose around you, you were safe. I mean, if you got all the snakes and rats out, that is, you were safe inside the storm shelter. Anybody else know what I mean by that, right? There was, you always had to clean them things out every so often because, you know, water moccasins love those storm shelters. But anyway, I digress. And what Isaiah is saying to the people is, if you will put your trust in the Lord, that does not guarantee you that the storm will pass you by. And I think that is something that we would really do well to embrace. Because so often for us, it is so easy for us to feel like God owes us a storm-free life. But that is not promised anywhere in Scripture. Nowhere in the entire Bible does God offer us a storm-free life. No matter how good of a Christian we are, no matter how faithful we are to His Word, no matter how much we fast, no matter how much we pray, nowhere in the Word, nowhere in the, in the experiences of men and women who followed God is it shown to us that we are promised a storm-free life, but rather we are promised a shelter in the middle of the storm. We are promised a refuge in the middle of the storm that while the storm rages, he promises us in his word that he will be like a strong tower or a sanctuary that surrounds us. And while the trees might be falling and while the, the storm might be raging and, and the property being destroyed, that the Lord will surround you. And even though everything around you may be creating collateral damage, what he is doing in here will be kept safe. Come on, one more time. But then he says something that's a little strange. And, and honestly, if, if I can be kind of real with you, I think it gets in the way sometimes of our westernized prosperity view of the entire gospel. He says that to those that don't make him holy, to those that don't give him the proper place in their life, to those who claim to know him, but their fruit denies him. He will be like a rock or a stone that trips them, that makes them stumble. Now, here is something that you need to understand. The Lord doesn't trip you up or make you stumble because he's angry with you. He does it because he loves you. Because sometimes the only way he can get us to look back up again is if he knocks us on our back. Sometimes the only way he can get us to get our attention off of everything around us, off of ourselves, and redirected back to him is if he gives something in our life that literally takes our feet out from under. And the only place we have left to look is towards him. And so you see, when the Lord, and, and listen, my friend, the Lord will send things in our lives. Not because he's angry, 
but because he's merciful. Not because he wants to harm us, but because he wants to help us. He will, he, 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 the writer of Hebrews says, the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves. And sometimes his discipline comes in the most unusual and sometimes even very painful ways. And it puts us in a position where we are reminded, oh yeah, I, I remember you. I need you. That's right. And I need to put you back in my life where you belong. On Labor Day of 2018, it seems so long ago now, I had just completed my first year of pastoring this church. And it had been a, the, the most difficult year of my life in terms of growing in my faith, gr- growing in my calling, and g- growing. I also gained a lot of weight that year, but that's, that's another growing. <laughs> and we had taken the day, and, and we were driving to Knoxville, we were on Pellissippi Parkway about to get off and head towards uh, the exit to get on I-75 when a text came in on my phone from somebody in the church. It wasn't a terrible text. It also wasn't particularly encouraging. And something about that message and something about the moment and something about the last year And something about where I was personally in my relationship with the Lord all collided in a fraction of a second in our minivan as I received that text message. So much so that as my vision began to double and as my heart began to race and as breath seemingly could not find its way back into my lungs... I had to pull over on the side of the road. My wife looks at me, and I tell her, I think I'm having a heart attack. And she says, do you want me to call an ambulance? And like any good red-blooded American, I say, heck no. I will die in this car before you call an ambulance. I am not paying for an ambulance. And that day began a journey in my life that I want to say I'm on the other side of it. And I think for the most part I am. At least I have proper perspective of it now. But it began a journey where essentially the Lord swept my feet out from under me in a few areas of my life. And said, these are things that you were not giving to me. And that's why anxiety attacks and panic attacks will rule your days and your nights until you fully surrender all of it to me. You see, last week I kind of said something tongue-in-cheek, and I sort of meant it, sort of didn't. I said, my greatest fear in life is not dying, it's almost dying. Because that means you've been hurt really bad, and now somebody else has to take care of you. That was my thought process behind it. But if I'm being very honest with you, um, I don't know how true that actually is. Because you see, on that day, 
on Pellissippi Parkway, the thing that got in my head the most was not fear over what I received in that text message. The thing that bothered me the most was when I began to look in the conversation mirror in our minivan and I saw the two beautiful little girls in the back seats behind us. And I thought to myself, I do not want to do to them what my father did to me. You see, when I was 14 years old, my mom shows up. I had been cutting grass for someone in our, in our area. And she pulls in in her car and she says, hey, we've got to go to the hospital. Your father just got admitted to the hospital. And so we make the 30-minute drive to the hospital to find out that as my dad had just birded a par five and was walking to the next tee box on a golf course in August 1999, that he died suddenly of a massive heart attack. The doctor actually said that he was dead before he hit the ground. We didn't know that, and so as we walk into the emergency room, I make my way to the counter of this small little country hospital, and I tell them, I need to see Wayne Moorhead right now, and immediately the blood leaves her face, and she becomes pale, and she says, hey, hang on, I've got to go get someone, and she brings someone over, and they grab me and my mom by the hand and look at us and tell us that he didn't make it, that he's dead, and if you've ever encountered a moment like that in your life, you know how hard it is to process that information in such a short amount of time. Information that, that is so life-changing and has such a, a, an impact on your life and you just received it. And the moment you hear it, you don't believe it. And I actually become slightly violent in the moment because I am so angry that these people would lie to me and mislead me while my mom is sobbing. I am not at all crying. I am I'm ready to roll. I am ready to fight with my cut-off jeans and sleeveless t-shirt and, and, and weed eater gas all over my leg, right? I'm ready to, I'm ready to go. And... Um, a moment later, someone else takes me by the hand. And if you've ever lived through these moments, you understand that memories are foggy and you kind of have bits and pieces here and there. And so to the best of my memory, it wasn't a few moments later, I am escorted into a room where my father's body is laying upon a stainless steel table in the middle of this room. He'd been dead for about three hours by this point. They had tried to resuscitate him and not to be graphic about it, but some of you will understand his body had swollen about twice its normal size and it was blue all over. And as I look at this shell of a man that was my father, I am in absolute and utter disbelief as to how my life could change so dramatically and so quickly. And I'm still in disbelief. And so as I grab his hand, a hand that I had grabbed many times before in my life, and I pick it up from the table and I'm holding it, I fully expect there to be a return of embrace only for there to be nothing but a cold, lifeless hand. And as I let it go, it just falls. On that day, 
and many days and many nights since Labor Day of 2018, I would fall into a state of panic and fear and anxiety. My heart would race, my lungs would deflate, my mind would just seem to go out of control. Not because I was afraid of dying, but because from the deepest part of my soul, I do not want to do to my children what my father did to me. You see, my dad was not a perfect man. He had his own addictions. He had his own trauma. He had his own pain. He had his own problems, and they bled into every area of his life. But he was my dad. And after his death, life changed dramatically. Things that used to be easy became hard. Things that used to be a sure bet became uh, abstract. Things that I used to could depend on, I could no longer depend on. And so that day, as panic set in, it was just for a moment maybe that the panic was about the situation that I received a text. But as I thought to myself, I'm having a heart attack, it hit me. I don't want to do to my kids what my father did to me. I don't want them to go through what I went through. And sincerely, so many nights, I would wake up and I would look at Kristen, and, and I use the term wake up loosely. It was more like, I don't even know. It's like somebody came in our room and sounded an air horn. I would jump out of the bed and tell her, I think I'm dying. Because that's what it, I don't know, it just felt like. And I would start confessing my love to her. I love you so much. I'm so sorry. Tell the kids I love them. I know it's, I mean, I laugh about it. But in those moments, even though it makes absolutely no logical sense, and if you've ever experienced panic and fear like that, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, just count your blessings and have sympathy for those of us who have. I thought so many times since that day in 2018, I may die prematurely. I may leave my young family with no primary provider. I may leave my mission in life mostly undone. To, and, and listen, I'm doing what I want to do. I, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I don't want to retire. I don't want to quit. That I would leave my wife with no mate, and most of all, I would leave my beautiful, precious girls with no daddy to love them and to protect them and to care for them. I can tell you, as of March 12th, 2023, things are much better. I won't tell you they're perfect. I won't lie to you like that. I won't tell you that I've 100% come out on the other side, but I will tell you I'm so much better today than I was. And the Lord's bringing me through, and the Lord will continue to bring me through. And the reason why he's been able to bring me through 
It's because I have had to face the fact in my life that what I fear the most is where I trust God the least. That's the quote. What you fear the most shows you where you trust God the least. Put your faith in God and watch as he starts to eliminate your fears. For me, at different times of my life, it's been, it's been money, right? If you've been young and you've gotten married young and, you know, when you're, when you're making $1,200 a month and, you're, and your rent's $500 a month, you know, money, money becomes something you worry about, right? It's been this church at different times. It's been my future. It's been my family. It's been my kids. But I have come to learn and am learning and will continue to learn that every resource the Lord has put in my hands is not my resource. Rather, it is something that he has given to me for this period of my life to steward well and to give back to him as an offering. This church, contrary to the belief of my youngest daughter, is not my church. I do not own this church. This is the Lord's church. And, and I am here for a season. Hopefully it's a long season, but regardless, it is just a season. And there will be a time in the life of this church and this body of believers that my season will end because it's not mine. It's his. I am just a steward for this season. My family, as much as I have marked my children... And as much as sometimes to my disappointment, they act like me and look like me and have some of my problems, right? Ultimately, they're not even my kids. They are gifts that the Lord has entrusted to me for a season to train to raise, to nurture, to provide for, and to protect. But when it's all said and done, they belong to the Lord. And it was when, and forgive me if I get a little emotional, I'm not trying to to, to bait you in that, but as I look back and I remember my 14-year-old self, it was about a year later when I gave my life to Christ. It wouldn't be many years after that I would graduate high school, I would start college, and I would get married. And I could tell you all the details of my story, but my wife knows it, and she will affirm yes. If I started breaking down how God just made things happen, in my life. Like it blows my mind as I look back on it and reflect it. That if he could take care of me, even if something does happen to me, because listen, again, we're promised many things in scripture, but tomorrow isn't one of them. But if he could take care of me, he can take care of them too. Because he's a better father than I could ever be. He's a better daddy than I could ever be. And so I share all that for one, to just share some of my story and my struggle with you. For two, so that you will understand how the Lord 
will work in your life and how it's, it's okay to be a person in process. It's okay to not have everything always put together. It's okay to not be perfect. It's okay. But it's not okay to be okay with it. It's not okay to just accept it as normal. That's not the Lord's will for your life either. The Lord's desire for your life is that you would be freed from the group of anxiety. But for many of you today, the only way you will ever find freedom from the group of anxiety is if you will take the thing that you are fearing the most and you will say, Lord, it's yours anyway. So that's why today I want to encourage you to give it to God. I've had to give my finances to the Lord and say, God, this paycheck obviously is not my provider, but you are. I've had, I've had to give this church to the Lord and say, Lord, you may have appointed me as an under-shepherd for a season, but God, this is your church. This is your people. This is not mine. I don't own this. My name's not on the sign, nor will it ever be. I hope that when I leave this place, that my name is found nowhere on any part of this property. I only want the name of the Lord to exist after I'm gone. It's, it's about him. It's not about me. Don't memorialize something on this property for me. That my family, my kids, it's not mine. It's his. It's all to him. It's all to him. If there's anything that we can learn from what God says to and through Isaiah, it's this. Any area of your life whether it's your finances, whether it's your family, whether it's your future, whether it's your children, whether it's your job, whether it's some other relationship, any area of your life that you have not fully surrendered to God, you still own it. And therefore, you have to protect it. You still own it you have to protect it. So my question for Lifehouse Church today, what do you need to give to the Lord? What is the thing that keeps you up at night? What is the thing that strikes panic into your heart, fear into your mind, if you were to lose it or if it were not to come out or to turn out the way you think it should or the way you hoped it would? Maybe, maybe a person's name comes to your mind right off the bat. Maybe it's a very specific situation that you are facing. Maybe, maybe it's something going on at home. Maybe it's something going on at work. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's something that I've never even thought of. But for you, it's something that you need to give fully to the Lord. Because what you fear the most reveals where you trust God the least. What you fear the most reveals where you trust God the least. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? What do you need to give to the Lord today? Maybe today you need to give Him your life. Sincerely, maybe today is the day you need to stop running and you need to give him yourself fully and completely. 
Maybe you've only partially given yourself to the Lord. And today is the day where you say, God, I give you all of me. For others of you, maybe, maybe finances are at the top of your anxiety list. How will you provide? How will you buy? How will you make it? How will you pay for it? Today, the Lord would say to you, just give that to me. Maybe for parents in the room, maybe you worry about your children. Maybe for some of you older parents, you, you have children that we would use the word have become prodigals. And you are praying and believing the Lord to move in their life and, and worrying over them and worrying over what they're doing and worrying over what may happen to them. It's something that, that strikes fear and anxiety into your heart. And the Lord will say to you today, give them to me. I am a better parent than you are. I love them even more than you do. You were not designed to carry that load. Give them to me. Maybe it's another relationship. Maybe it's a situation in your future that you are unsure of. The Lord would say, give it to me because you were not designed to live in worry, in fear, in dread, in that anxiety that you're battling. It is self-inflicted because you simply refuse to, and forgive the familiar phrase, to let go. And let God. So what do you need to give him today? If there's something that you know in your life, you need to give him. If there's someone in your life that you know you need to give him, and you're ready to take the first step of that decision and giving it to the Lord, I want to invite you to stand to your feet just right where you are. If you would, as you're standing, I want to encourage you just take your hands and I know it may seem silly but I do believe that there is some correlation between what we do physically and sometimes what happens spiritually and just in your own way with your own thoughts say Lord I give it to you just release it right now to him release that person to them release that fear to him Lord I give it to you because you were trustworthy because you were good you were kind you are patient you are caring you are compassionate I give it to you because I know I can trust you with my heart I can trust you with my life I can trust you with my pain I can trust you with my fear. I can trust you with my worry. I give it to you. Father, in the name that is above every name, for every man and woman 
standing in this place today saying to you, I give it to you. Father, I pray that you will bless them with a peace that passes understanding. Let them know that as they make the decision in this moment, God, that the decision will have to be carried out later today and tomorrow and so on and so forth. And Father, when it would be so easy to reach back up and to grab that it and pull it back down and take it back upon ourselves, that in that moment you will help us to continue to live with open hands of release as we continue to give it to you. Father, give them strength. Give them peace. Give them joy. Give them confidence. Reassure them of your goodness. Reassure them of your grace. Reassure them of your patience and your kindness. Reveal yourself to them in new and amazing and miraculous ways. God, that they would encounter your presence, that they would know your love, that they would be touched by your spirit like they never have been before as they give not just it, but as they give all of themselves fully to the Lord, fully to you. We trust you, Father, for you are good and you are faithful. And we pray it in Jesus' name.